Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle Podcast. I'm Stanley Jacobs. Along with us is TJ Inman. And tonight we will be discussing the transfer portal. No, we're not talking about the newest sci-fi movies uh, or anything like that. The transfer portal is the hot thing in college football. It was created in October. Uh, We'll talk about um, whether or not we like it, what needs to change about it, uh, what are the upsides and downsides of, of the transfer portal, and much, much more as we try and get into more national topics, things that affect Uh, college football, things that fans of college football want to know and want our opinions on as well. So we'll discuss that as well. TJ, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Yeah, wish wish this uh, summer would, you know, get here as opposed to uh, feeling like fall but not having football. Uh, It's a bit, uh, bit misleading weather right now, but um, you know, we're going to talk about an interesting topic to the one that um, I know coaches and fans certainly have seemingly differing opinions on. Uh, of course, the coach's opinion likely will change uh, based on whether or not a player that they either lost or wants to gain eligibility quickly uh, kind of seems to differ on whether or not it benefits them or not. Yep, and we are a hundred and I think five days away from week zero uh, in yeah. the college football season, and so there's actually a really good game week zero this year. Miami and Florida are playing uh, in in week zero. something to look forward to. I always like week zero to see some of these smaller programs, some FCS games as well. But Miami and Florida moved up to week zero from week one, just to give themselves a buffer since over the last couple of years, games have been affected by the tropical weather down south. IU had a game that was canceled two years ago, and it's all changing. So it's a marquee game on week zero, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but let's let's get into uh, the, the transfer portal, TJ. So for all our listeners, if you don't know what the transfer portal is, <clears throat> uh, it's, you know, starting in October, uh, Division One athletes have the ability to transfer to different schools and receive a, a scholarship without asking their current school for permission. So back, in the, back before October, you had to get a release. And, and you've seen a lot of – you saw coaches and teams and schools block players. Uh, you saw the – like – if you're at, let's say, LSU and you wanted to transfer, they would block you from Alabama or Ole Miss uh, or Auburn, uh, things like that, schools that they directly competed with. And, it, you know, you really got a bad taste in your mouth if, let's say, your number one quarterback uh, 
transferred from LSU and went to Alabama. You really don't want that to happen if you're going to go to LSU. Uh, but now you don't have to ask for permission. You have to inform your school of your desire to transfer. Uh, then the school has two business days to put uh, put your name in a database. And the transfer portal sounds a lot cooler than it actually is. Uh, it, it's not some sci-fi door where you walk out of another school. It's not, you know, one of the, the Infinity Stones battles and can pop up here and there. Uh, but it, it, it's basically a, a, a geeky spreadsheet that somebody has, and you put it in. And it was never intended to be as public as it is, uh, but it does allow for a little bit more transparency in it. Uh, it kind of takes out the shadiness of transfers of guys, um, you know, recruiting other guys uh, behind coaches' backs and, and things like that. So once you enter the portal, it, it is your intention to transfer. You don't have to transfer, but that's your intention. And it, and it kind of lets, schools contact you about their interest in you as a player. So it's definitely a little bit different. Uh, TJ, do you have anything to add to that? No, no. I think that um, the overall process certainly uh, wasn't revolutionized or completely changed by the introduction of the portal. Uh, Like you said, it, it really uh, the primary change was that you no longer were required to get, quote, permission from your school. Um, and it, it, I think, like you said, an unintended consequence of having this portal is that it is now much more public uh, and trackable, I guess, would be a good word for it, uh, kind of enterprise and industry almost of um, – tracking these transfers who's in the quote portal uh and and who you know where guys are going uh has certainly become a more public process since that introduction of it and i yeah i I think that that you know we're going to talk about the pluses and minuses of the entire process but that's certainly one uh unintended consequence is that guys that uh do enter that portal it's supposed to be private, but, uh, you know, we know at this stage of the game that it's not. Um, it's very quickly public knowledge of, oh, uh, you know, Ohio State quarterback Tate Martell or uh, Ohio State quarterback Baldwin or um, you know, name your player. Once they enter that portal, it's very quickly public knowledge that they are intending to transfer. Um, and that, you know, that's somewhat – uh, expected, but it is also a little bit difficult because you do have to keep in mind, um, you know, a lot of these guys are still in the process of transferring. They have not chosen a destination. They're probably still enrolled at that school, still going to classes, and I'm sure that makes for a lot of uh, awkward um, conversations that they, they have to have with their with their peers. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely more transparent. It, it's probably a little less corrupt, and you know, one of the the draw the 
like we said, unintended drawbacks is the the publicity of it. You know, two you could check on two four seven, uh, and yep. they have. I think it's the real time. It's as real time as you could get from the transfer portal on on guys who are who are transferring, thinking about transferring, and the the drawbacks to that for me is, you know, you kind of get blowback from fans. You kind of maybe there's a guy who wants to transfer for reasons other than, you know, maybe they're they're they have a sick family member or they're homesick or they just don't fit in the, the school that they're at, that they thought they would like they would, would and, and stuff like that. And, you know, some of the fan blowback is just not fair to, to the players either, but, you know, it, yeah. it is an interesting process. It's interesting to see, you know, when the timing of guys entering the portal uh, and, you know, where they end up and how they end up um, to where they're at. So is the transfer portal overall, is it good, TJ? Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's a, a necessarily great blanket answer for that, but uh, if we are distilling it down to positive versus negative, I think overall, yes. I think that it is um, overall, I never liked that you were required uh, to get the, quote, permission of your school uh, to to go through that transfer process. Um, and I, I never liked that there was an ability of an institution, let's say, a, um, this is a um, certainly a example uh, off the top of my head that I remember um, you know, a Penn State player was attempting to transfer and there were a number of schools that were blocked. Uh, obviously, you know, the obvious ones would be schools that uh, you play in your upcoming schedules. You don't want a player that, uh, you know, you thought was good enough to play for you to transfer to a school that you're going to take on the next season or the one after that. Uh, and then also you were, it was the, the, restrictions were placed that uh, they couldn't go to another state school. They could not go to uh, any school in the conference. And it, it got to the point where there was, you know, a, a limited number of destinations for that player. Um, and I, I never liked that part of it. Uh, the one part that I, I don't love about the portal is how public it has become. And that was never supposed to be the case. However, um, I have not heard, uh, and I'm sure there are examples of this, but they have not been public in the research that I was doing about this. Um, I did not find any players that came out and said, hey, you know, I was discouraged when I entered the transfer portal. Um, I, I was discouraged by or uh, felt that the reaction that I got um, was so negative that I regretted my decision to enter the transfer portal. Um, I, I did not read anything or, or hear of any interviews where players felt that that was such a big drawback and such a hindrance to them uh, that they felt the process needed to be changed. And really, that's that's what that drawback would be, too. I mean, to me, um, I 
you know, I find all college football news largely interesting and fascinating. So, you know, I'm going to gobble that up and see, oh, where is Justin Fields going to go? Where is, you know, Tate Martell? Uh, you know, mainly it's your it's your impact guys, your quarterbacks, your running backs, your receivers, uh, the players that are easy to identify. Um, but, you know, also offensive linemen, defensive linemen, you know, where are they going to end up? Um, kind of a secondary recruiting market. And for me, that's very interesting. And if, if players do not have a problem with that increased visibility, uh, then I I think overall it's a good thing. Now, I know that coaches, and you know, we'll talk about the transfer eligibility uh, thing next here. Um, I know that that is seemingly, according to uh, a lot of reporters that talk to coaches, about this in college football insiders that talk to coaches about this in, in off-season meetings, their biggest issue with it is with the transfer process is largely the inconsistencies in, you know, who's eligible immediately and who's required to sit out a year. That seems to be the coach's biggest point of contention. Um, and I think that that's a very understandable uh issue to have with this whole process definitely and and who's eligible and who's not iu has benefited from it with jack tuttle becoming eligible uh you've seen yes uh a, a transfer to illinois and luke ford who was uneligible or ineligible and you know only with the nca that it becomes the most frustrating uh you see a transfer home uh, because of family issues, and he, the whole thing about sitting out a year is so archaic. It's so you could get used to your new school and things like that. It's you know, high school football has become so big and so important in some of these places that it's kind of like going to a small college and and playing and and balancing school and and playing a sport and there's you know, the, the transition should, doesn't it exist, but, it, you know, it's, you know, sometimes, as Kevin Wilson said, sometimes the guys who play have an easier transition to the classroom because they have something to work for. They're not just going through, you know, a year just practicing. There's some reward for their work in, in you know, getting on the field and things like that. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to see the NCAA clean up its rules and not just seem like they throw darts at the wall and oh, and who's going to be eligible when. And you saw Justin Fields and, and you saw Tate Martell become eligible before Tate, before Jack Tuttle and Jack Tuttle's transfer happened you know, at least a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so before those guys. And it just seems so arbitrary about who's eligible and who's not. And that's really the, the frustrating part. Um, I do think you know, players should be eligible. They should be eligible. If you if you leave the, the, the school you were at in good academic standing, in, in good overall standing, uh, you should be eligible to play at your next school. It, you know, coaches make jumps to, to other schools all the time and things like that. And, and that's one of the things. If your coach leaves, yet yeah, you might transfer. They recruited you. 
Uh, and sometimes it's the position coaches who leave, who recruited you, know you the best, you know, you fit their system and, and things like that. And that changes that I, at some point that's got to change uh, and it, you got to play right away unless there's some circumstance where your grades aren't, aren't there um, or, or maybe you're just not good enough to play and, and you sit out, but, or there's some disciplinary issue where you have to sit out. But, you know, if a player is in good standing uh, academically and, and from a citizenship standpoint, I do think they should be eligible. However, you can't there. You've got to cap transfers. Uh, you know, everybody should probably get one and then, um, and then, and then cap it. And then there's got to be a penalty uh, or some sort of hindrance uh, to transfer because then you get guys, okay, we're going to go here. We're going to go here for a year, see if we could play. Okay, well, you know, I lost the job to that guy. They're bringing in another freshman. I'm going to bounce around to there. I don't think that does the player any good, and I don't think that does mm-hmm. the coaching staff any good, especially with the limited number of scholarships you, you get per year. Um, it, it's really hard to build a roster, a deep roster, especially a school like IU where you cannot miss on anybody. And if you start having guys, oh, you, let's hypothetically, let's say Jack Tuttle comes in, doesn't play this year because Penix beats him out and wants to transfer, you know, let's say to, to Miami of Ohio the next year. Right. So he's gone from Utah to Indiana. Indiana's kind of built their quarterback room about – Okay, now we have three guys, you know, for the next couple of years. This is our strategy recruiting, and then he leaves, and you kind of get you get stuck. And it, you know, the, the credits transfer from Tuttle from Utah to Indiana to Miami, and things like that. So it becomes difficult, and you don't. That's where that's where it, it hurts stuff. And then you get into the graduate transfers. And that seems to be more of a free agency than the actual transfers uh, to me. And it's, uh, you, I've gone down the rabbit hole now, but it's there's a happy medium between giving some the players some rights which they deserve, and not having an all-out free agency. And there's people who know it better than I do, who are probably smarter than me, but it is the NCAA. Needs to sit down and figure it out. Figure out what's best for the student athlete, what's best for the health of college football, and come up with a plan and, and try and implement that plan. Now, it might take two or three times to figure it out, but sometimes that's what plans do. You, you, you see if something works, you try it out for a year. If it doesn't work, you, you figure out what part didn't work and, and you move on. So overall, I do think the transfer portal is good. I think it gives players some, you know, the student athletes some rights in terms of that they have to be happy where they are. If they come to any school and are unhappy for four to five years and said, you know what, I I, want to transfer closer to home or I want to transfer to a place where I'm going to play 
there shouldn't be, you know, after that first time or before that first time, there shouldn't be any any hindrance to doing that. It, it's not fair to them, and because they already are low on rights as it is, it just it it needs to happen. And I think the transfer portal is good because of that. It gives it gives uh, student athletes some rights that they didn't really have to start at the beginning, and now you can't block them going to schools, which I, is pretty petty and pretty crappy. So like, it's just like, come on, man, you can't. You know, if he was that good, he would be playing, and he'd be bending over backwards for the kid. You you're just being petty because the kid wants to go play at another school, and they're going to give him the opportunity. But you face him in week three, and it's like, ah, well, he's he's too good to let go, but he's not good enough to play on my team, and that's how I take it. So we'll see. Um, what changes? What other changes need to be made to this, uh, TJ? Well, I, it is a you said a very good term in my opinion, a balance, uh, you know, a balancing act between player rights and all that free agency. Um, and I, I think that there's several different uh, solutions that I've read about that I think would be interesting. I don't know which one of them uh, would ultimately, you know, be the solution. Uh, but I do think that one that would be interesting um, would be that when a player, uh, if you take a transfer, um, you know, and, and that transfer uh, is going to count against your scholarship limit. Uh, there's a couple different proposals for it. The player's going to count against your scholarship limit for, uh, you know, their particular grad transfers one season plus an additional one. Um, so you're you're having to think about, you know, which grad transfers do you really want to take? Um, I don't love that because it feels like it punishes the grad transfers who, you know, have done everything they're supposed to in terms of they played at their school that they committed to. Uh, they ended up, you know, graduating um, and earning a degree and they're going to get a master's degree, which, are they intending to pursue that or not, or are they just looking for an additional, you know, year at a bigger stage? Well, either way, um, you know, they, they have done what they're supposed to to that point, and it feels like you're limiting their options in terms of, you know, it really needs to be a special guy for a, a school to use a scholarship on him for two seasons. Um, but that's one that, uh, that I've read about. Another um, is that you know, if you are to, um, you know, maybe punish the school in which uh, the player is transferring from in an attempt to get teams to um, – or to get programs to try harder to hold on to their guys and um, make it more difficult for schools to leave. Uh, but that's that's going to be very difficult to, to implement as well. Um, certainly – one of the changes that I would like to see happen uh, is I do want for uh, there to be, as you said, 
uh, immediate eligibility for anyone transferring for the first time from their school to a different school uh, with good academic standing and, you know, zero legal issues that would uh, be necessitating the transfer. Uh, I think that that should be automatic. I don't think that players should have to seek an attorney to, you know, gain their immediate eligibility. Uh, there's an attorney with the last name of Mars uh, that has been involved in over 100 cases of uh, players' eligibility here in the past few years. Um, interestingly, he's, you know, unbeaten, if you will. Uh, he's gotten his clients' immediate eligibility uh, every time, which is interesting that uh, players have needed to go get him and that they've all been wins. I mean, that's somewhat odd, but, um, yeah, I, I don't see why that's a need. Like, why do players have to go get an attorney to ensure that step, which, uh, to me, should be a given. So I would like to see that change. Um, and then, you know, I, I do think that putting a cap, as you said, a cap of one transfer on there is, is with with the exception of just incredible circumstances. And if, if you do have an incredible circumstance of, hey, I've transferred once already, but I'm going to transfer again, um, you know, I, I do think at that point sitting out of season – um, is is one that is going to potentially keep that from uh, from becoming a recurring issue. Um, I, you know, I think that a lot has been made of transfers, and I completely understand it. Uh, I think a, a large part of the visibility of the issue is because of uh, social media and sites like 24-7 Sports, um, which give people more access to this process, which has always been around. I mean, transfers are not, um, you know, they're not significantly up in percentage terms in college football. No, it's, uh, it's more visible. It's, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's more visible. Um, and I think that that's, that's important to note that this is not some new, uh, some new crisis that college football uh you know, is just learning to cope with. It's been around for the entirety of college football, and there were, uh, you know, times previously, uh, back before college football was big business, that, I mean, <laughs> read some of the stories about guys that transferred in the middle of seasons to, you know, go play for, like, University of Chicago or, you know, whatever. Uh, and they would leave and go, and then they would – for whatever reason, play for a couple games there, and then they'd go back to their, their previous school and finish out the season there. I mean, just wild, wild west stuff. This is not some new issue for college football that or for any collegiate sport. Um, and I think that's important to realize that it's just a higher visibility. Um, now, that doesn't mean that the NCAA should be lax uh, and ignore it, uh, because I do think that there's um, – an ability to do right by the student athlete while also uh, ensuring that, that, uh, you know, schools and the ability to construct a roster is also protected somewhat as well. Uh, But I I think the first issue that should be addressed uh, 
is the immediate eligibility uh, because I, I think you can still have a balance between player rights and, you know, the rights for the, uh, or at least maybe not rights, it's the wrong word, but, uh, you know, the ability for schools to construct rosters and, and have a decent idea of who's going to be on their roster from year to year. I think you can still strike that balance uh, while granting the players immediate eligibility uh, if they have taken care of the classwork and stayed out of trouble. I think that's the first and easiest fix for the NCAA. Uh, to me, that one's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, it's something that no-brainers aren't the NCAA's bread and butter. A lot of no-brainers take them forever to figure out. Uh, yeah. And it's just, it's not, it's not their bread and butter. Hopefully, though, that's no there that they they can figure out, figure it out quickly, and it has the potential to blow up and and blow up in people's faces. And nobody wants nobody wants a free agency in college football. Nobody wants to see a guy, uh, you know, they've been following it since high school and following his recruitment, and we're excited when they committed. They want to follow that guy for four, three, four, five years and root for him. And I think that's how you build a fan base, too, uh, is you have guys who you can root for for three, four, five years. And if you go where you have, let's say, I don't think it ever gets to the point where half a recruiting class transfers. But if it does, then, you know, it's kind of like the NFL. You're rooting for a jersey. and you're rooting for a jersey anyway because turnover in college is so high every four or five years. Uh, but you don't get a chance to get to know the player, and you don't get a chance to know their backstory and, you know, just get to know them. And there's a certain sense of pride that college sports has that pro sports just doesn't. And, you know, we went to the same school, and, and you know, you, you identify with that player as, now in four years, they're, they're, we're alumni of the same place. We have that connection. Now, I'm a Jets fan. I will never have any connection with any Jets player ever unless they had gone to IU. I have, will never play for the Jets. I will only root for the Jets and maybe curse at the Jets every so often. Um, mm-hmm. But it's you kind of – and it's going to go for all college sports – you, fans fall in love with players for four or five years, and then they, they're in love with them the rest of their careers. And you, you kind of take that away if guys just jump ship after a year or two. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. I think that would kill kind of the, the specialness of, of college sports. But th- there definitely is a middle ground where guys need the opportunity to play. And if they came in – tried their hardest, did the right thing in the classroom, did the right thing in the, in, on the field, and they're just, maybe they're not good enough. Maybe, you know, somebody else beat them out for a spot. Maybe they're just too far from home, and, and you know, maybe they have a sick parent or grandparent uh, who took care of them, and they want to move closer to give them the opportunity to see them play. I'm fine with those being the reasons uh, why he transfer once. But 
we got to find that middle ground. Hopefully the NCAA does. Hopefully they do the right thing in a lot of these cases. But we'll see. Any final thoughts, TJ? No, I mean, it's a, it's a delicate issue. It's a difficult issue. Uh, and it's one that, you know, I, I think that the NCAA needs to proactively search for answers and try some different things. Like you said earlier, uh, you're not going to get this perfect probably at any point. I mean, it's probably never going to be perfect, and that's fine. Uh, you know, it's it's okay to have uh, a system in place that's not perfect. That doesn't mean that you just sit back and do absolutely nothing and pretend like it's already perfect. You know, you try some things search for those solutions, proactively seek out those solutions, and put systems in place or checks in place to try and improve things every year. Uh, and I think doing that would go a long way towards, um, you know, helping the, the rights of the athletes uh, and, and really helping the sport as a whole and the collegiate sports as a whole just by improving the perception of the NCAA uh, if they can say, look, you know, we are trying here. We are trying to increase the rights for our athletes to take care of them and put them in the best situations we possibly can. Um, and I think, you know, taking those efforts would go a long way towards uh, just improving some of the goodwill uh, towards the NCAA. And in addition, uh, you know, helping, I think, athletes and, and the product on the field as well. So, I think that the the best thing the NCAA can do is be proactive in searching out for some results and trying some different things to see if they're good or bad or, or you know, you keep the good ones and try and tweak them and improve on them and you throw out the bad ones and, and try again. So uh, for me, that's the best thing the NCAA can do here is proactively search out those results and, and try to put uh, checks and processes in place to make things better every year. Yeah, that's all you can ask for. Anyway, TJ, that does it for tonight's show. I say in two weeks we're going to discuss the college football playoff. If yeah, as long as there's no breaking news, uh, we'll discuss the college football playoff. What needs to change on that, and and all that, and our thoughts on that. Is it good for college football? Uh, and and all those things. We'll do the same kind of format. Uh, hopefully, people enjoyed the discussion today. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Have a great uh, great couple weeks, and we will be back here. The countdown starts soon, so check Hoosier Huddle soon for, for the start of that. It's always a favorite part of the offseason for us. Definitely. It, we're about 112 days away from uh, IU football kicking off. But before we go, uh, I'd like to take a second to introduce our newest friends from SeatGeek. Let them take the confusion out of your ticket-buying experience, instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show, and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. A green dot marks great deals, yellow dot good deals, and red dot not so good deals. Pretty simple, right? Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's two free beers at the stadium on them, depending on what stadium you go to. 
Uh, what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's event. Life's event, we have tickets. So SeatGeek's a great tool. I've used it in the past, uh, and it's a great way to get to events that uh, if you're looking for, for good deals. Uh, do come back to HoosierHuddle.com. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore Huddle. Uh, we'll have the countdown, off-season content, and much, much more coming up. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.